Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS News Roundup ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, Palestinians suffer without food or water as Israel steps up its attack against Hamas amid Hanukkah. Jews stood with gays people of color, and it's time to stand with us now. Calamity at UNLV as a gunman opens fire on a campus in a city all too familiar with mass shootings. We're hearing sirens, we're getting text messages that this is not a joke, run, hide, fight. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, how worried should Democrats be with a disconnect with usually reliable supporters? No voting black is monolithic, especially black folks, and we have work to do. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. The Israeli military says two soldiers were seriously hurt in a failed attempt to rescue hostages being held in Gaza. It says it killed numerous Hamas militants in an overnight operation Thursday. Some 1,200 Israelis died in the October 7th terror attack by Hamas, but the health ministry in Gaza says more than 17,000 Palestinians have been killed since then. This as Palestinians crowd together as Israel steps up its air and ground offensive. The United Nations estimates that nearly 2 million people have been displaced and many don't have food, water or medicine. The White House says Israel could be doing more to reduce civilian casualties. The latest now from CBS's Rami Innocencio. A new month in the bloodiest war between Israel and Hamas brought new death and destruction. At Nasser Hospital, the biggest in the south, this girl screamed, my brother, my brother, as casualties increased. In new footage, Israel's military said it targeted Hamas militants emerging from a tunnel in the area. And Israeli media showed the army had detained some 150 Palestinians. Men stripped down to their underwear and blindfolded, claimed to be suspected terrorists. But Al-Arabi Al-Jadid News says one of its journalists is among them. The IDF has not commented yet. In Israel, on the first night of Hanukkah, families of hostages lit a menorah in Tel Aviv with 138 branches, each representing a hostage still in captivity. For Abion and her family, this year's Festival of Light is a mix of emotions. You have had family killed. You've had family set free. You still have family held hostage. How does that make this Hanukkah feel different? You feel the pain. Many Jewish Americans are wondering that right now, whether to put the menorah in their windows or whether to take them down. I say to every American, put a menorah in your window. We stood, Jews stood with gays, with people of color, with women for each of their fights. And it's time to stand with us now.
A U.S. House committee Thursday launched an investigation into the learning environments and disciplinary practices of three of the nation's most prestigious universities over their testimony at a hearing about anti-Semitism on their campuses. The heads of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania told lawmakers they condemned anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and that there had been a rise in both. But even the White House criticized them for their answers to questions over whether calling for the genocide of Jews violates the code of conduct at their schools. CBS's Scott McFarland with more. Already under fire for not doing enough to stop threats and harassment of Jewish students on campus, three university presidents have been given a failing grade by Congress for their answers at a hearing this week. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. New York Republican Elise Stefanik, who led the questioning. Calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes. Has called on the university leaders to resign. The second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, weighed in at the National Menorah Lighting. We've seen the presidents of some of our most elite universities literally unable to denounce calling for the genocide of Jews as anti-Semitic. That lack of moral clarity is simply unacceptable. The testimony also led Rabbi David Wolpe to step down from an anti-Semitism advisory committee at Harvard. We were craving leadership and bluntness and clarity and directness. I did not feel as though I could stay in good conscience on the committee without more results. MIT grad student Talia Khan, who attended this week's congressional hearing, says her school hasn't taken enough action to discipline those who've made threats. This shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be that students are crying every other day because they're so afraid of being publicly Jewish. In Albany, New York, a man accused of firing a shotgun outside of a synagogue just before the start of Hanukkah has chosen to remain behind bars. CBS's Peter King. The accused gunman faces federal firearms charges. Prosecutors say he's not allowed to own a gun because of illegal drug use. The suspect is an Iraqi-born U.S. citizen. Police say was having trouble with events in the Middle East. Officers say he told them free Palestine when they arrested him. The arrest report describes the weapon as a 12-gauge shotgun that he fired twice into the air. He could face 15 years in prison if convicted on that charge. Albany police say he could also be charged with a hate crime. Peter King, CBS News. About half of the nation's adults are suffering from loneliness, which puts people at risk for problems including heart disease and diabetes. But there's a program in New York meant to help. For these high school teenagers, spending the afternoon with people old enough to be their grandparents is their idea of a good time. Every Thursday, a group from the United Nations International School visits this New York City skilled nursing facility for an afternoon of competition and conversation. It's the brainchild of 17-year-old Max Hockman, who started playing chess with his family at the age of four. I started thinking about it during the COVID-19 pandemic when I heard about how my grandfather was kind of feeling lonely. 
I decided to just pick up the phone one day and call him and ask him to play chess online with me. I saw how that really like improved his mood. That online chess game with his grandfather in Florida has morphed into 60 students visiting three facilities every week. I love all types of music. Much to the delight of residents like Lori James. You know, I'm seeing a lot of talking and very little chess playing. Is that what usually happens with these things? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that's how you connect to one yeah. another. Yeah. Maria Alomar introduced Daria Murnia to the game of dominoes. Uh, you said to me that the people in East Harlem, is that where you're from? Yes. They take dominoes very seriously. Very seriously. Uh, I won one game. I won one game. But who's counting? In between chess moves, Luis Sanchez and Hugo Ilmesen discovered they had both lived in Panama. I was showing him some photos of me in Panama and we were talking about it. We speak English and then sometimes we'll speak Spanish. You know, there's the desire on their end to have the connection as well. It's not just the residents wanting to connect with the youth, but the youth wanting to connect with them. Just knowing that there's still genuine young people out there who's willing to, you know, come and sit with us. Gives you faith? Yeah. Dr. John LaPook, CBS News, New York. Coming up, a terrifying mass shooting in Las Vegas. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. We're learning more now about the man who killed three faculty members at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, Wednesday, in a terrifying attack that sent people on campus running for their lives. Police say the gunman brought more than 150 rounds of ammunition. It happened in a city where 60 people were killed in October 2017 in the deadliest shooting in modern U.S. history. CBS's Omar Villafranca. Surveillance video from the UNLV campus caught the deadly shootout between gunman Anthony Polito and officers. You see the 67-year-old appear to chase after an officer with a weapon in hand. A gunfight then ensued. The suspect was struck multiple times and collapsed to the ground. Officials say when Polito first arrived on the campus Wednesday morning, he was carrying a handgun, over 150 rounds of ammunition, and a list of targets. I heard five loud bangs. UNLV Assistant Professor of Accounting Truman Rowley was on the same floor where the shootings occurred. It wasn't until about five, ten seconds later, another round of gunshots rang out, followed by a scream that we, we knew this uh, this was happening. Rowley says he missed being in the same area as the gunman by mere seconds with an office just across the hall from one of the victims, Associate Professor of Accounting Patricia Navarro-Velez. She was nothing but warm and welcoming. She truly cared about her students, um, and she truly cared about every single one of her colleagues. Officials have not confirmed the gunman's motive, but say that UNLV was just one of several schools the out-of-work professor had been rejected from. The suspect had a list of people he was seeking on a university campus. Investigators believe Polito was struggling financially. A search of his home showed an eviction notice as well as a last testament. While some on campus are calling the shooting unimaginable, 
Others say this experience was inevitable. You felt this was going to happen eventually. Yeah, because I also work in the school district. So I was like, eventually it'll happen. If not while I'm in school, while I'm teaching. It, but it could also happen while I'm at the movie theater. It could happen at the mall. Finals and winter graduation are on hold as the community continues to grieve. President Biden's son, Hunter, has been indicted on nine counts related to his taxes. A federal grand jury in California recommended the charges, which include three felony counts. Hunter Biden is accused of trying to avoid paying more than a million dollars in taxes. CBS's Catherine Harris reports they have since been paid. The sprawling indictment brought by special counsel David Weiss alleges Hunter Biden engaged in a four-year scheme to avoid paying at least $1.4 million in federal taxes. Hunter Biden is facing very serious charges here. The president's son is accused of taking false business deductions to reduce his tax liability. The indictment alleges he spent this money on drugs, escorts and girlfriends, luxury hotels and exotic cars. One of the things I think that jumps out from the indictment is that Hunter Biden allegedly knew exactly what he was doing. In July at a Delaware court, a plea agreement for lesser charges collapsed over whether the deal would end Hunter Biden's legal problems. Two months later, felony gun charges were filed in the same courthouse, alleging he lied about his drug use to purchase a gun in 2018. He pleaded not guilty. The previous plea deal fell apart in part because the judge didn't like that the gun charges were bundled in with the tax charges, and in part because there wasn't a meeting of the minds as to whether or not future charges could come. The new tax charges were filed in California because he lived there when the alleged crimes were committed. In a statement, Hunter Biden's attorney said, based on the facts and the law, if Hunter's name was anything other than Biden, the charges in Delaware and now California would not have been brought. This is exactly what Hunter Biden wanted to avoid with the plea deal. He wanted to be able to avoid jail time. If convicted on all counts, Hunter Biden could face up to 17 years in prison. He's already under subpoena to give closed-door testimony on Capitol Hill next week as part of the House Republican impeachment inquiry into his father. Before the charges, Hunter Biden's attorney said he was willing to appear on the condition the testimony is public. The White House is referring all questions to the Department of Justice. Catherine here at CBS News, Washington. There are worries now over the mental health of airline pilots after an off-duty Alaska Airlines captain allegedly tried to turn off the engines in mid-flight in October. The National Transportation Safety Board convened a mental health forum this week to look at what changes might be needed in the regulations for pilots. CBS's Chris Van Cleve takes a closer look at the problem. 19-year-old student pilot John Hauser was struggling with his mental health in silence for months, fearing seeking help would lead him to losing his FAA medical certification required to fly. He took his own life by crashing this plane in October 2021. John did not have a known history of depression. His mother, Ann Sue. In a letter describing the turmoil that John was silently facing, he wrote, I want to seek help more than anything. I just know if I try... I will have to give up on aviation. And frankly, I'd rather not be here than to do that. Disclosing mental health issues can lead to a pilot being grounded by the FAA. United Airlines First Officer Troy Merritt grounded himself a year ago to get treatment for anxiety and depression. He says he's taking an approved FAA medication, but it could take another year out of work before regulators allow him to fly again. Had the barriers 
that are in place today not been there, I know I would have sought treatment earlier. One study found more than 56% of U.S. pilots avoid seeking medical treatment out of fear of losing their FAA certification to fly. We got the message loud and clear from all sides. If you want to fly, you can't admit anything is wrong. Court documents say off-duty Alaska Airlines Captain Joseph Emerson allegedly took psychedelic mushrooms 48 hours before he attempted to turn off the engines of an airliner in mid-flight, reportedly telling police he'd been battling undiagnosed depression. Choosing between lying and flying without seeking help, that's not a choice. Following that October incident, the NTSB called this first-of-its-kind mental health forum. Board Chair Jennifer Homendy. It sounds like from from where you sit as the chair of the NTSB, the existing regulations aren't good enough. The existing rules are arcane. At the very least, pilots and others need to be able to sit down, talk to a therapist, and not worry about the impact on their jobs. The FAA says it does provide a pathway for pilots to return to the cockpit, But ahead of the forum, the agency announced a panel to review existing mental health regulations. FAA Administrator Michael Whitaker. We need to have a system that allows people to be more forthcoming and to have treatment for issues that shouldn't keep you out of the cockpit. The FAA has conducted similar reviews in the past that yielded few changes. A 2016 survey from Harvard, so pre-pandemic, found about one in eight pilots could qualify as clinically depressed. The nation's largest pilot union is joining the call for change, saying the existing system is outdated. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Reagan National Airport, Virginia. Coming up, a first-of-its-kind court ruling over an abortion in Texas. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. A first-of-its-kind ruling in Texas where a judge is allowing a woman to get an emergency abortion. The state has a near-total ban, but doctors say the woman's child would be likely to die after birth. CBS's Janet Shamlian. After asking a Texas court for an exception to one of the nation's most restrictive abortion laws. I am going to grant the temporary restraining order. A Democratic judge ruled Thursday that Katie Cox... A 31-year-old mother of two is allowed to have the procedure. This case proves that abortion is essential, life-saving health care. Cox is 20 weeks pregnant with a fetus diagnosed with a likely fatal genetic abnormality. Her lawsuit filed earlier this week states if she continues the pregnancy, it could jeopardize her ability to have children in the future. The idea that Ms. Cox wants desperately to be a parent... And this law might actually cause her to lose that ability is uh, shocking. Texas's near total abortion ban includes a narrow exception only to save the mother's life or prevent significant damage to a body function. This case didn't live up to that standard. Uh, It wasn't a, a severe risk to a major bodily function. Texas Right to Life opposes Thursday's decision. The emergency injunction applies only to Cox and ensures her doctor will not face penalties. But in a statement Thursday, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said anyone who provides Cox with an abortion could still be prosecuted. Janet Shamlian, CBS News, Houston. Some good news on the jobs front from the government on Friday. An analyst says signs are pointing to things the U.S. economy needs to avoid a recession. 
a holiday gift for the U.S. economy. A new report from the Labor Department shows employers added 199,000 jobs in November, and unemployment fell for the first time in three months to 3.7 percent. Here we have more people going into the workforce. We have the unemployment rate coming down, and that really is sort of、uh, consistent with. What we've been looking for, and bank rate senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick says these numbers signal more of a pre-pandemic normal for the labor market. While healthcare and government sectors added jobs, November's gains also reflect the return of 47,000 striking workers in the automotive and motion picture industries. Essentially, you had to sort of set that off to the side and then see that we're very close to October's payroll gain of 150,000 jobs added. Someone who's perhaps overemployed this time of year, Santa Claus. My elves are going crazy. Santa Russ says his schedule is so jam-packed he's even had to turn down requests. It's been overwhelming quite a bit, especially on the weekends. HireSanta.com says it's seeing a 34.6 increase in demand over last year, adding more than 1,100 Kris Kringle entertainers for 2023. All this good cheer could keep the Federal Reserve in the holiday spirit when it meets next week. The Federal Reserve is likely done raising interest rates this cycle. Fed Chair Jerome Powell was wary of predictions even last week, and some investors are still jittery the resilient job market could fuel inflation. Willie James Inman, CBS News, Washington. A warning over those black and white codes you often point your phones at in businesses these days. The Federal Trade Commission says you should think twice about scanning one of those QR codes on your cell phone. The codes are digital jumbles of black and white squares used by restaurants and stores, among others, to store information, including menus and ads. But the FTC says scammers are using the codes to hide links that allow them to capture your personal information. How can you protect yourself? The FTC says you should inspect link addresses closely to. Make sure they aren't misspelled or contain a switched letter, and don't scan QR codes you weren't expecting, such as those sent to you in emails or texts that urge you to take action quickly. Christopher Cruz, CBS News, Washington. In this week's Eye on America, we have an update on a unique Black community fighting for its future off the coast of Georgia. Residents worry that new tax laws threaten their ancestral homes. It's a battle Weekend Roundup first told you about in September. By ferry, Nikki Williams brought us to Sapelo Island, deeply rooted in West African Gullah Geechee culture. Forty-four families settled here after the Civil War. Their Gullah Geechee community, all formerly enslaved people, all day, every day, we are, we will fight for it. Among today's descendants, Nikki Williams. This is the closest thing that you can get to being in Africa. You feel it in your bones. Absolutely. This is Hog Hammock, little more than 400 acres, fewer than 30 full-time families. There is no main street here, just scattered homes, scattered like more and more of the original families in this historic enclave. Back in September, the McIntosh County Commission changed Sapelo's zoning laws. Home sizes can double, potentially ahead. Million-dollar properties, raised property taxes, and current homeowners priced out and pushed out. They have an extreme uphill battle. Commissioner Roger Lotson, one of only two no votes, and the only commissioner who agreed to talk to us. Is this a battle of rich versus poor? In part, it is. Black versus white? In part, it is. Simply because there are not as many rich black folks as there are rich white folks. 
now at risk, one of America's last intact Gullah Geechee communities. I can't see how you can't see how that hurts. And it's not just me, it's all of the descendants. A community born in blood and tears, now sweating out its future. Mark Strassman, CBS News, Sapelo Island, Georgia. What's old is new again this holiday season. CBS's Deborah Rodriguez explains. Let's dial it back to, say, 1958. Brenda Lee's not the only one who's returned to take the holiday by storm. So are trees draped with mounds and mounds of shiny silver tinsel. Yeah, we know the mess those Cousin It-esque decorations can make. The trend is fueling a raging debate on TikTok. It was sparked by a user from Texas who gave a mess-free tinsel tree tutorial that worked flawlessly. For her, anyway. She began by cutting off most of the bands stringing the tinsel together, then cut the strips into little sections that looked like what she called long fake lashes. Then pulled the pieces through individual branches to nestle them securely. Her tree, which had already been decorated with ornaments and string lights, looked perfect with a layer of sparkling silver on top. While some TikTokers raved, one said it looked like Christmas vomit, another like a tree covered in cobwebs. Love it or not, if you have a dog, it's definitely off limits. Pet experts say the strands are a dangerous chew and don't break down in the gastrointestinal tract. For the CBS News Weekend Roundup, I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keith segment, the black problem for the Democratic Party. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keith segment, where every week we discuss issues including race. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This time, we're talking about what some see as a black problem for the Democratic Party. Some recent polling suggests that some of the African-Americans who propelled President Biden into the White House are feeling disconnected. As a New York Times-Siena College survey found, the 22 percent of black voters in six battleground states say they will support former President Trump, who got 8 percent of black voters in the nation in 2020. We asked CBS News contributor and Democratic strategist Antoine Seawright what's happening. Polls are a snapshot of the time, but they do not define the time. And the same polling data indicated that first African-American president, Barack Obama, at this point was not on the way to re-election for his second term. The same polling data indicated at some point that Joe Biden was not going to win the primary nomination. They said he was not going to be president of the United States because of historical numbers. And even some of the same polling data indicated that the black enthusiasm was where was not where it needed to be in terms of electing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But let me tell you why I disagree fundamentally with the polling. Number one, black folks are casting a survival vote in this election. And every single time our lives have been on the line, we've always stepped up to save our communities, to save this country, 
and to save democracy as we know it. I don't think this election will be any different. So let me jump in here because black voters I have been talking to, not just in mm-hmm. D.C., but in Chicago and in other places sure. in the country, there is a disconnect, right? They don't, as one woman said to me, listen, I've been voting Democratic for 60 years. I don't feel that the Democrats have done anything for me. Mm-hmm. She was annoyed about the president's focus on Ukraine and Israel, where people in L.A., in parts of L.A., are getting the help she needs. There's not been movement on voting rights. There's not been movement on gun control. And some people have even said things like, well, at least the former President Trump got us stimulus checks. What has President Biden done? How badly do you think this might permeate through the community? Let me say a couple of things, um, Allison, to that note. Um, there's a different conversation on K Street than there is on Owl Street. The elections are one on Owl Street. Elections are one on Owl Street. As a 38-year-old black man from South Carolina, trust me, I'm frustrated, too. Because I want things to move at light speed pace, uh, and I want things to happen uh, overnight. However, we did not get here overnight, so our problems will be not will not be solved overnight. And when you think about why folks are frustrated, part of it is there's a disconnect between the messaging. You hear people talk about gun violence and dealing with guns on our streets. Well, Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris, and the Democrats passed the most comprehensive and the first piece of gun legislation in 30 years. We don't hear about it because there's not a lot of oxygen in the room. You talk about voting rights. You talk about health care, education. There's not an issue in this country that black folks have faced for the past 200 plus years historically that this administration and this president has not dealt with head on and made some headway, not headline about. But however, we don't always hear about it. And that's where I think my party has to do a better job of reaching folks right where they are. Still, because I am seeing growing support for former President Trump in some black mm-hmm. neighborhoods, and the Latinos are, what, like 34.5 million this year, right? And they aren't necessarily all going Democratic, particularly when you look at the difference between what you might hear from a Cuban Democrat and somebody in a different state, right? So what do you think the Republicans are doing right that Democrats are not? Well, one, they're being consistent, even if it means consistent lying about what they're attempting to do or what they're doing. What I think people don't always understand is that in Washington, D.C., there's sometimes words be passed around called low propensity. I just say low priority. Sometimes I say uninspired. But low propensity, low, pro- low priority, uninspired voters are the number one targets for misinformation and disinformation. Oftentimes, those are black folks. Those are black voters, those are Latino voters, and those are young voters. And so they're getting this information that are a misinterpretation of the facts from online, and people are inhaling that as the gospel truth when it's a flat-out lie. When I visited a barbershop, one of the largest barbershops in, in the country in Wisconsin a few months ago, talking to black men, a very consequential constituency in any given election. In fact, I would argue a swing vote in any election. When I had brothers arguing me down, Allison, that somehow or another it was Donald Trump that gave them checks. I had to remind them it was Joe Biden and Kamala Harris by way of the American Rescue Plan that gave them the child poverty tax credit that Republicans did what did not want to renew that gave them the checks they were speaking of. And so a lot of it is just updating and educating people with truth and with real information instead of letting them inhale and digest misinformation that exists out there online and using that as political truth. It's interesting that you say that because there's a group of black men across the nation that I have been speaking with every election for the last four years. 
and they are telling me they are not feeling the Democratic Party. They are not feeling President Biden. And they were what they said was they would have been down to support Kamala Harris. Right. But the Democrats basically have lowered her star to the point that she, they say, don't wouldn't even be a viable replacement for him if he decides not to run. You know, you know, what's so sad about that is Kamala Harris is a black woman who looks like my mother, my sister, my grandmother, my my aunts. And I don't know a more consequential elected official who served at the vice president's level than Kamala Harris. And I say that with all due respect to now President Joe Biden. And when you think about who and what we're up against, and that's what sometimes I don't think these brothers understand. When you have a party who rather ban books than bullets, you you have a president, president, potential presidential nominee uh, who thinks that slavery was somehow a job training program that generationally benefited black folks. When you have a former president of the United States refer to a black woman as a dog, as Donald Trump did, I can go on and on and on about the things that this extreme party on the other side represents and what they have not done and what they fought against when it comes to our community. At the end of the day, I am happy to try to make the comparison of the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party and who's done what for black folks. And I am willing to bet your last paycheck on this, Allison, there's not been a party in modern day history, or at least a president and vice president that has moved the needle with black folks than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, including when you talk about capital, one of the things that's on the mind of a lot of black men, a hundred billion dollars in the American Rescue Plan okay, okay, to help okay, rescue okay, small okay, black and brown okay. businesses. I'm going to jump into this commercial now. Both parties are calling each other the extreme, right? And people Mm -hmm. out on the street are not hearing it. They do not see or hear the whole bubble in Washington. And what I'm hearing from people is there is not a lot of enthusiasm for this party. So last question and short answer for me, is this going to put the Democratic Party in trouble in 2024? Look, Allison, you will not get me disagreeing the fact that we have work to do. That's Democratic strategist Antoine Seawright. Hear the extended version of the interview on the CBS News Roundup podcast. Coming up, the surprising thing that some in Florida are going without. That's next to the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, where every week we discuss issues including race. This time we're talking about what some see as a black problem for the Democratic Party. Some recent polling suggest that some of the African Americans who propelled President Biden into the White House are feeling disconnected. As a New York Times Siena College survey found, the 22% of black voters in six battleground states say they will support former President Trump who got 8% of black voters in the nation in 2020. We asked CBS News contributor and Democratic strategist Antoine Seawright, what's happening? Polls are a snapshot of the time, but they do not define the time. And the same polling data indicated that first African-American president, Barack Obama, at this point was not on the way to re-election for his second term. The same polling data indicated at some point that Joe Biden was not going to win the primary nomination, they said he was not going to be president of the United States because of historical numbers. And even some of the same polling data indicated that the black enthusiasm was where was not where it needed to be in terms of electing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But let me tell you why I disagree fundamentally with the polling. Number one, black folks are casting a survival vote in this election. 
And every single time our lives have been on the line, we've always stepped up to save our communities, to save this country, and to save democracy as we know it. I don't think this election will be any different. And by the time we get to next year, where I hope the Democratic Party will fine-tune their message, their mechanism, and their messaging, and how they disperse those things, and really do a real compare and contrast to what and who we're up against, I think you'll see the tide turn in terms of black folks leaning in. The worst thing you can do in politics, in the words of the greatest boxer of all time, Mike Tyson, is peak at the wrong time. And so I'm glad that there's still room to grow. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for Democrats as well as the country to come together and wrap their arms around the people on the good side of history. And there is not a political couple in American history, president and vice president, has done more for black folks than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And we have a story to be told. So let me jump in here because black voters I have been talking to, not just in Mm -hmm. D.C., but in Chicago and in other places in the country, there is a disconnect, right? They don't, as one woman said to me, listen, I've been voting Democratic for 60 years. I don't feel that the Democrats have done anything for me. Mm -hmm. She was annoyed about the president's focus on Ukraine and Israel, where people in L.A. and parts of L.A. are getting the help she needs. There's not been movement on voting rights. There's not been movement on gun control. And some people have even said things like, well, at least the former President Trump got us stimulus checks. What has President Biden done? How badly do you think this might permeate through the community? Let me say a couple of things, um, Allison, to that note. Um, there's a different conversation on K Street than there is on Owl Street. The elections are one on Owl Street. Elections are one on Owl Street. As a 38-year-old black man from South Carolina, trust me, I'm frustrated too. Because I want things to move at light speed pace, uh, and I want things to happen uh, overnight. However, we did not get here overnight, so our problems will be not will not be solved overnight. And when you think about why folks are frustrated, part of it is there's a disconnect between the messaging. You hear people talk about gun violence and dealing with guns on our streets. Well, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and the Democrats passed the most comprehensive and the first piece of gun legislation in 30 years. We don't hear about it because there's not a lot of oxygen in the room. You talk about voting rights. You talk about health care, education. There's not an issue in this country that black folks have faced for the past 200 plus years historically that this administration and this president has not dealt with head on and made some headway, not headline about. But however, we don't always hear about it. And that's where I think my party has to do a better job of reaching folks right where they are. Sometimes that means high tech. Sometimes that means high touch. Sometimes that means Joe Biden and elected officials. Sometimes that may mean the local barbershop or the local barber, the local entrepreneur, the school board member. Sometimes that may be just a family who benefited from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Democrats cutting child poverty in half, including back poverty in half by way of the American Rescue Plan. Sometimes that means historical black colleges and universities testifying to folks that said because of Joe Biden and the Democrats, $7.2 billion came to us and wiping out our capital debt. Sometimes that just means jobs being created, the lower in the price of insulin to $35 a month, cap and prescription drugs, PAC Act, all the things that we know that have been accomplished by way of this administration, but that message has not necessarily vibrated or penetrated our community. And that is the next step, I think, for Democrats, updating and educating the American people between now and when the Republicans decide who their nominee is going to be. 
still because I am seeing growing support for former President Trump in some black mm-hmm. neighborhoods. And the Latinos are what, like 34, 34 and a half million this year, right? And they aren't necessarily all going Democratic, particularly when you look at the difference between what you might hear from a Cuban Democrat and somebody in a different state, right? So what do you think the Republicans are doing right that Democrats are not? Well, one, they're being consistent, even if it means consistent lying about what they're attempting to do or what they're doing. What I think people don't always understand is that in Washington, D.C., there's sometimes words be passed around called low propensity. I just say low priority. Sometimes I say uninspired. But low propensity, low, pro- low priority, uninspired voters are the number one targets for misinformation and disinformation. Oftentimes, those are black folks. Those are black voters, those are Latino voters, and those are young voters. And so they're getting this information that are a misinterpretation of the facts from online, and people are inhaling that as the gospel truth when it's a flat-out lie. When I visit a barbershop, one of the largest barbershops in, in the country in Wisconsin a few months ago, talking to black men, a very consequential constituency in any given election. In fact, I would argue a swing vote in any election. When I had brothers arguing me down, Allison, that somehow or another it was Donald Trump that gave them checks, I had to remind them it was Joe Biden and Kamala Harris by way of the American Rescue Plan that gave them the child poverty tax credit that Republicans did did not want to renew, that gave them the checks they were speaking of. And so a lot of it is just updating and educating people with truth and with real information instead of letting them inhale and digest misinformation that exists out there online and using that as political truth. It's interesting that you say that because there's a group of Black men across the nation that I have been speaking with every election for the last four years. And they are telling me they are not feeling the Democratic Party. They are not feeling President Biden. And they were what they said was they would have been down to support Kamala Harris. Right. But the Democrats basically have lowered her star to the point that she, they say, don't wouldn't even be a viable replacement for him if he decides not to run. You know, you know what's so sad about that is Kamala Harris is a black woman who looks like my mother, my sister, my grandmother, my my aunts. And I don't know a more consequential elected official who served at the vice president's level than Kamala Harris. And I say that with all due respect to now President Joe Biden. And when you think about who and what we're up against, and that's what sometimes I don't think these brothers understand. When you have a party who rather ban books than bullets, you you have a president, potential presidential nominee, uh, who thinks that slavery was somehow a job training program that generationally benefited black folks. When you have folks who are trying to push back on things like the tax credit, when you have a party and leadership who believe in not telling the whole story of history and want to whitewash history, when you have a former president of the United States refer to a black woman as a dog, as Donald Trump did, fire the SOBs as he did when he talked about NFL players taking the knee, did not want to do anything with police reform. I can go on and on and on about the things that this extreme party on the other side represents and what they have not done and what they fought against when it comes to our community. Yes, we're having to have this oversized discussion about who is for us and who's against us. At the end of the day, I am happy to try to make the comparison of the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party and who's done what for black folks. And I am willing to bet your last paycheck on this, Allison, 
there's not been a party in modern day history, or at least a president and vice president that has moved the needle with black folks than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, including when you talk about capital, one of the things that's on the mind of a lot of black men, a hundred billion dollars in the American Rescue Plan okay, okay, to help okay, rescue okay, small okay, black and brown okay. businesses. I'm going to jump into this commercial now. And no, you didn't. And no, you didn't say you would risk my paycheck. I'm so scared of you. But both parties, both parties are calling each other the ex- extreme, right? And people mm-hmm. out on the street are not hearing it. They do not see or hear the whole bubble in Washington. They live in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They live in Texas. They mm-hmm. live in other places. And what I'm hearing from people is there is not a lot of enthusiasm for this party. So last question and short answer for me, is this going to put the Democratic Party in trouble in 2024? Look, Allison, you will not get me disagreeing with the fact that we have work to do. No voting block is monolithic, especially black folks, and we have work to do. And that's why it's going to take Lottie Dottie and everybody within this party to reach folks where they are. And it may not always mean Joe Biden. Sometimes it may mean some of our athletes. It may mean former athletes. It may be our entertainers. It may be folks who just care about democracy and black folks and the black community progress as we know it. And we've got to have multiple messengers to the message. So anyone who's listening to this interview, take it from me as this is an opportunity for you to activate your political deployment papers and frame the importance of this election because black people are casting a survival vote. And whoever wins this next election, Allison, will determine whether or not our community lives or dies, survive or thrives. And that's how serious this election is. That's Democratic strategist Antoine Seawright. Coming up. The surprising thing that some in Florida are going without. That's next to the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Things are a little different in Florida where people at one community are going without and they like it. It does take a special kind of courage, though, and a positive attitude. WTSP-TV's Miguel Octavio. Perhaps less is more. We found the industry generates billions of dollars to Florida's economy. I spent a few hours with the Paradise Lakes Condominium Association to learn more. Like any other neighborhood, the grasses are trimmed, there's a body of water to enjoy, even lights and decorations are on display. But here, neighbors strip themselves of judgment, including Tracy Kanan. I'm here and I can't imagine living anywhere else. She wishes she moved to Paradise Lakes, a gated nudist community, sooner. How can you not love this? (laughs) I mean, you know, I do a lot less laundry. And she finds this lifestyle. It's one big chosen family. Is attracting more people. And we have all walks of life here. When you're not wearing clothes, you don't know, you know, who dropped out of high school or who's the doctorate. The American Association for Nude Recreation says properties like this are generating about $7.4 billion for Florida's economy. I mean, we were all born naked. Alice Kuhn says she's never felt more comfortable in her own skin. I feel so safe. Than here. I mean, it's not a sexual thing. Um... It's just people that are very comfortable with themselves. She first visited more than 20 years ago and didn't look back. You know, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful experience to have the freedom of what you choose to do. As a property manager, she says she noticed a boom in vacation since the pandemic. Business is busy here with rooms available for vacation. I'm seeing a lot of younger people 
come in, which is great. But I love the countertops. The rooms for rent, Tracy designed with different themes. From Alice in Wonderland, Boogie Nights, Old Cape Cod, and even Star Wars. They just want to be themselves and explore who they are, and this is a great place to do that. Here, nothing beats the sense of freedom. And community. Oh, yeah, it's a great time here. Neighbors, naked or not, often gather. They call each other family. There's just a closeness that we seem to have here that develops over time. We're a very welcoming community. You know, look for quality people who like to relax and just don't want to do laundry. <laughs> History is being made a half an hour from Richmond, Virginia where a dream has come true for the founder and CEO of a new birthing center meant to give women a calm place to have their babies. WTVR-TV's Joy Foltz explains the community had a lot to contribute. Nestled in Chesterfield off of Midlothian Turnpike. It's meant to feel like a place where people see themselves and they feel seen, they feel safe. Sits a new space where new life is welcomed. After she had her baby, I have everyone walk to the front. We have a big throne there. And I have everyone take a picture in the throne holding their baby. Like, I had my baby. I did it. We introduced you to Rashad Tahini, Lawler Queen, back in February as the fourth generation midwife was aiming to transform a Richmond home into a birthing center for moms. I was on a Zoom call with black birth workers from RVA, and they were just telling me about what they were facing in regards to the lack of representation in birth, especially in out-of-hospital birth. And now months later, with the community's help, she's done just that and opened the state's only Black-owned birthing center. We are sitting in Gather Grounded Midwifery's birth cottage, and this is the Freedom Birth Suite. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let you come in and feel it. Most people that want a water birth, they love the water. Despite having to change locations because of permit issues, the 20-year midwife persevered and found a new place to welcome new babies into the world. This is going to be like labor. It's going to take me down all different roads, and I know where I'm trying to get to, but how I'm going to get there, I don't know. And I, I couldn't have opened this space without all of the generous donations, all of the love. With the GoFundMe raising over $30,000 and the business receiving donations of all types. Can I give you art? People who came and they wanted to give toys, they wanted to drop off diapers. Lawler Queen says it's because of the community support she's able to support other families through one of the most significant moments of their lives. It really gives them even more power. It gives them a greater voice and it provides them the opportunity to birth without fear, to birth in freedom, to give birth to their baby in a way that affirms them and affirms their family and affirms how they want to move forward after they have this baby. Finally, the nation says farewell to a man who changed the face of television. Writer and producer Norman Lear died this week at the age of 101. He's being remembered as a champion for social justice who used comedy to shine a light on prejudice, intolerance, and inequality. My name is Norman Lear. For a time on television, Norman Lear was king. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. His reign began in 1971 when he created an insurgent little sitcom, All in the Family. The language was shocking. Now let me tell you something. If your speaks in your space want their rightful share of the American dream, let them get out there and hustle for it just like I do. The topics, from homosexuality to rape to racism, 
were rarely seen on TV before. The central character, a politically incorrect working-class bigot, Archie Bunker. I didn't have no million people out there marching and protesting to get me my job. No, his uncle got it for him. What made you think that bigotry could be funny? It wasn't the bigotry per se. It was the state of the man's mind. He was afraid of tomorrow. He's afraid of、uh, anything new. All in the Family was the number one show for five straight years. Number two for much of that time was another Lear hit, Sanford and Son. It was one of three Lear shows focusing on African American families. And then there's Maude. I'm pregnant. At one point, Lear had seven hit shows on television. Did you plan to topple old taboos when you put these shows on the air? They weren't taboos to me. You could hear anything we were saying on a, you know, in a schoolyard. What was the big surprise? I think the big surprise was that you put it on TV, first one to do it. I fess up. <laughs> Norman Lear changed the face of television, and in the process, changed the way we saw ourselves. Bill Whitaker, CBS News, Hollywood. That's it for the weekend roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor, and Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com/survey. I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us, from famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset: Cinderella, Bracket Buster, Sleeper. We've got it all covered. Every round reaction shows. All the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search "Ion College Basketball Podcast" wherever you get your podcasts.